You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. This morning we are continuing our series with uh, the first point of our doctrinal statement, what we believe, the truths of the faith. Um, We are going to start with a few scripture passages first off in Isaiah. So I invite you to get your Bible out to Isaiah chapter 45 and 46. Going to read a few passages out of there to start with, and then we will get into our doctrinal statement. So this is Isaiah 45, 5 through 12, 18 and 19, and then 46, 8 through 11. Isaiah 45, starting in verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that that people may know me from the rising of the sun and from the west, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay... Say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, ask of me things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth. And created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. Jumping down to verse 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I did not speak in dark secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Chapter 46, verse 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, a man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Grass withers and the flower fades. Word of our God stands forever. 
that text almost preaches itself. Like, I don't even, I mean, that's, there's so, I mean, coming from the mouth of Isaiah, God speaking through him as a prophecy, this grand reality that God is God and there is no other. There is no other. Our God is God. He has formed the world. He has his purposes. He accomplishes it. He is a God in righteousness and truth. And so I just bring that up to our, our first doctrine in our doctrinal statement. We're taking 10 weeks here now to go through the 10 points of our doctrinal statement. I have them printed up in a little um, bulletin that looks like this, a folder. If you'd like to grab this on your way out, you should have got it in your newsletter. But this is just the 10 points of our doctrinal statement. And we're going to take a few weeks just to go through very briefly these points. Because I say briefly, we're going to work at this. Uh, our first point is the doctrine of God. Theology proper. And we're going to, in the next uh, 15 minutes, hopefully, talk about the reality of who God is. We've got to get right into it. But let me start, or not start, but secondly go with... Here's what our doctrinal statement says. If you've got a copy of it there with you, you can follow along with me. But here's what our first point of our doctrinal statement is. We believe in one God, creator of all things, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge, and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his own glory. Where do we begin all of reality? Right where this doctrinal statement starts. God himself. If we are to, it's important you, you get your center right. If we're to understand um, the, the movements of the planets and the stars and the universe and all that we see as we look out into the sky, we, we must understand we've, we've gone through this, this reality in our scientific understanding of the Copernican revolution, that the world does not revolve around the earth as it appears from our eyes. If you were to stand outside at night, it looks like the sun goes over our sky, Right? But we have learned that that's not actually what happens. The center of the, of the universe, we are not geocentric in that the earth is the center. We are heliocentric. The, the sun is the center of our little uh, solar system. It's not even the center of the galaxy. We're just in the middle. We're just on one little corner of the Milky Way galaxy. But we have to understand if we're going to look out, what is at the center of it all? What is the center. And so likewise, for the Christian faith to have any accuracy or even understanding, we must properly make sure we are properly centered. And God himself is the center of that reality. Who is this God? If you get God wrong, it's safe to say you're going to get all the other doctrines surrounding God at least a little skewed, if not entirely just wrong, because you don't have the center um, Defined correctly. You don't know the center. Um, knowledge of God. When we're, when we're doing this sort of uh, study, knowledge of God comes as discovery, not as invention. Um, it's, as much as the science of geology is not about looking at rocks, inventing what's happened or inventing rocks, 
It is simply looking at rocks and then, and then explaining what is revealed. Biology doesn't create humans. The study of the biosphere doesn't create the study of the biosphere. It simply looks at it and then defines it. She says, explains, oh, this is what this is. Um, if it comes to uh, sociology, it doesn't create a social system. It simply looks at what is revealed and then seeks to explain that, put that into words. Theology, likewise, is not an attempt for us to all sit around and invent or think up what we would like to see in God. It's about discovery. It's about learning to understand the God who is there. We are making no attempt at inventing a truth about God, but we are determined to discover the truth about Him. And thankfully, God is a speaking God. We're going to get more into this next week um, when we talk about the, the Scripture and our doctrine of Scripture. But God is a speaking God and a revealing God so that we can know Him. And so our goal is not to create what we would like to see in a God, but to discover this God who has revealed himself. And so out comes this first point of our doctrinal statement. Not exhaustive by any means, but it does seek to cover some of the main essential points of the doctrine of God. At the start and center of our theology is the reality of who God is as he has revealed himself to be. And I think the statement itself is a, is a great Outline, And so we're going to follow it as a general outline, but then show how I, these texts in Isaiah, they're, they're pointing forward all of these same realities. So the first point in our little outline, these are all M's. I did an, an alliteration this morning. So all M words. The first thing is our God is matchless. Our God is matchless. And that, if you didn't hear that refrain coming out in Isaiah... You weren't listening, okay? So turn your ears on. If you didn't hear that refrain over and over again, our God is one God. He is the only God. Verse, uh, verse 5 in chapter 45, I am the Lord. There is how many other gods? Yeah. Yeah, all right, I got some answers. There is no other God. He is matchless. There is no other God beside this God. That means that the gods of other religions are not real gods at all. You can put the name of God on it. You can say it's a God. You can bow down and pray to it. You can worship it. You can uh, give money to it. You can idolize it. You can, you, can, you can give, sanctify it and keep it as sacred. But that does not mean that it is God. The gods of Hinduism, the God of Islam, the gods of pagan mysticism, the non-god of Buddhism, these gods, they are not God. Isaiah, God is declaring his word to us. He alone is God. There are no others. And sometimes you just got to state the plain fact. God alone is God. This God that Isaiah is speaking about, this God coming out of the Jewish faith, having his people, and then Jesus showing up as the second member of the Trinity. We'll get to it. This Trinitarian God, he is the only God. There is no other. We cannot worship any other gods because they are not God. Therefore, we cannot worship together with any other faiths in that meaningful way because the gods they are worshiping 
is not the true God. There is one God and there is no other. Now, this is a very exclusive claim. Admittedly, this is an exclusive claim. Our God alone is God. And it can be seen as arrogant. Well, you think the God you have is the only true God and none of the rest of them are, none of the rest of them count. But I want to remind you, what, is our, what did I say just here at the beginning? Our objective here is not to create a God, but our objective is to discover the God that is. So when I say that God alone that we worship, that has revealed himself in the Bible, in the pages of Scripture, that when I say this God is the only true God, that is not the invention of Darren Dolacek. That is this God as he's revealed himself to be. So this, it may come across as this arrogant claim from me to say that my God is a true God, whatever. The reality is our, our job is not to create the God we'd like to see, but to discover the God who is. And he has revealed himself way before I came on the scene, back in the book of Isaiah, as the only God that there is. There is no other. He alone is God. He is matchless. He is matchless. There is no other God than the God of the pages of Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we hear the Shema, which is recited, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus picks that up in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, this claim that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. There is no other. Very important point. This God, though, that has that we do confess, he's revealed himself to be a trinity. He's one God in three persons. We don't have time. We've done some stuff, some talk on the trinity, but um, we don't have time to get deep into it this morning. But this God, as he has showed himself to us, right? We're not creating a God. How has he revealed himself to be? What do we discover? He's a God, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Many places we could go to, but Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission, Jesus sends out, he has gone to the cross, been buried in the tomb, resurrected from the dead, sends his disciples out, and he tells them to go out and to baptize, teach, teach and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, the one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself giving testimony to this reality of the Trinitarian nature of our God. He is one God. There are none like him. He is one in essence and being and three in persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That does not mean we have a plurality of gods. We do not. Not even a duality of gods. We have one God in three persons. You can see it at the baptism of Jesus, right? that they go into the waters, John the Baptist is there, and he lowers Jesus down in the waters, brings him back up, and we, hear the, we see Jesus in the water. We hear the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, or I, whom I'm well pleased, and we see the spirit fluttering like a dove. It is not a dove, but it flutters something like a dove. This, the Holy Spirit fluttering down. There is the picture, all three of the persons of God engaged in that act on the clear pages of Scripture. One God, three in persons. We, not, we are not a, a polytheistic religion. We don't even believe in a duality of gods either. Um, often what is thought is that there's good and bad. There's, you know, and, and what's often put as a duality sometimes is God and Satan, and they're duking it out. 
Uh, you know, so we've got a dualism. It's actually the yin and the yang symbol is kind of a dualistic religion that they have this picture of the black and the white forces fighting against each other for control. That's not Christianity. There's no dualism here. There's one God. Everything that is not God, created by God because there is no other way for it to come into existence. He is the one true God. God is the one true God and all else that is, is so by an act of the one true God and his creation. Which brings us to quickly to point two. God is matchless. God is also maker. God is matchless. God is maker. Verse 12 in chapter 45 of Isaiah. I made the earth, created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their hosts. Recently, we've been going through Colossians, right? And that passage is talking about there in chapter one, the preeminence of Christ, how all things were made through him, that Christ is this, that, that everything that is, is so because God has made it. All things created through him. The second member of the Trinity there specifically in Colossians. But I think also one of the, most beautiful places that it's uh, communicated to us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed, the universe, everything, was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. God is matchless and he's the maker. He made everything. Do you know what he made it out of? Nothing. He made everything out of nothing. That's this fun doctrine of ex nihilo, the Latin for out of nothing, ex nihilo. God made everything, and what he gathered together to make everything was nothing. There was nothing there for him to make everything. He simply made everything. When we do our creating, even the most creative of people, they all take from something to make something else. Even if you get down to making a painting, you, you've got to have a canvas of some type that you found somewhere, colors that you've mixed from something to then make art. You, you're creating something unique and new, but everything that we create, we are dependent upon some prior creation to even make it. If you're to make music, even take the most abstract kind of art. If you're to make music, write a song, beyond being an instrument to play on, but to have a voice with which to sing it is dependent upon you having a voice. Did you make this throat that resonates and vibrates to make different sounds? I did not make mine. Did you make yours? No. We all have to take what we've been given to create. God doesn't do that. God takes nothing and from it makes everything. Matter is not eternal. We, have, we live with a lot of uh, naturalism, with this idea that matter is eternal, like that matter always has been, maybe infinite, and I can't even say the word, maybe super small uh, matter, and then it exploded, but that matter was always there, and then it grew or exploded. But matter itself is seen in some worldviews as eternal, that maybe then was arranged by a god, but matter is eternal. Christian, that's not what the Bible puts forward. That God made everything out of nothing. The world is not a cosmic accident. This is not the result of countless accidental changes over time giving us the world that we see. 
God formed the earth. He formed man and put him on there. God is the maker of all things. We'll get in more into that in, in the third point of our doctrinal statement about man being made in the image of God. But God made everything, and this creator is righteous and good, which brings us to our next point. God is matchless. God is the maker. God is magnificent. God is holy and righteous. Verse 19 there said that, uh, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God's creation is good because the God who is good made it and he called it good. We could go to Genesis 1. Would have been a great place to go this morning, but we didn't have time for it. Genesis 1, God in these days of creation creates and he says God made it and he saw it and he said it was good. It was good. It was good. And then he creates man and he says it's very good. This is God creates everything and he creates it good. But he's able to do this because God himself is perfect without blemish, without stain, without sin. Exodus 15, the song of Moses, God is majestic in holiness. And you go to the book of Leviticus and over and over again, you hear this refrain from God, I, the Lord, am holy. This call is for his people to be holy, to be without sin, to be sanctified, to be set apart because God is holy. God is sanctified. God is, is separate. God is special and set apart from every way from us. He is holy and he is righteous. His judgments and, and are right and his standards are perfect. He is the God who made the world. Who would condemn his standards as unrighteous if he is the one who has made all things? He is over it all in his holiness. God is holy and righteous. He's matchless. There is no other God. He's the maker. He has made all things. If you can see it, if it is, it's because God has made it. He is magnificent and he is the master. God is matchless. He's the maker. He's magnificent. He is the master. This doctrinal statement says that God has limitless power and limitless knowledge and sovereign power. God answers to no one. God answers to no one. God is reigned in by no one. God is obligated by no one. This and all of its hugeness. I mean, that you think about, we, we read that in, the, in our Romans passage this morning. I wasn't even paying attention to that when I put it down, but... Romans there, that end of that chapter 11, we just read for our time together. Um, who, has, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? You don't get to give to God and say, well, God, I did this for you. Now you better do this for me. You're, God is, God, you, have not, you have nothing to give God that is not already his. He is the master. He has limitless knowledge and sovereign power. God is in charge of all things. He has purposed and he works it out. He has purposed and he works it out. God is matchless. He's maker. He's magnificent. He's the master. He is on a mission. This is our last fifth point. He is on a mission. He's on a mission for his own glory. You can read that in the, in the opening of the statement, or at the end of, the, of our first statement, that God is on a mission for his own glory. What makes this amazing? We, you take this matchless God, this 
No comparison, no other God but him. He's made everything magnificent, holy, righteous, and pure. He has ultimate authority to do exactly what he wants to do, and yet he's on a mission. That mission is for his glory, but how he goes about receiving his glory is astonishing. Because so far, all that we've said, God deserves every ounce of glory. And when we get into the condition of man in point three and the fallenness of humanity, we can see that God, who is matchless, who's maker, who's magnificent, who's the master, if his mission is to glorify himself, one way he could do it is just by punishing all of humanity, wiping out all of us, judging us, condemning us, sending us to an eternal hell, and he would be totally just in doing so because that is us getting the rewards of our sin. He's on a mission to glorify himself, and that is one way God could receive the glory. But he's on a mission to do something different for his glory. His mission for his glory, as our doctrinal statement says, is that he is on a mission to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new. God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his glory. God fully aware of all that was going to happen. Remember, he has limitless knowledge and sovereign power. Knowing all that was going to happen, creates the world, watches as man rebels and plunges into sin. And then we can read in Ephesians chapter 1, this great reality of what God did, purposed, what his mission was in the midst of all of that. We'll look at starting at verse 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Do you hear how that's all coming together in that first doctrinal statement? That was 100 miles an hour through that. God is matchless, he's maker, he's magnificent, he is the master, and he's on a mission to redeem a people for himself, saving them through Jesus Christ, and then making all things new one day for the praise of his glory. So then where does that leave us today? Because I don't want to just teach through that, but as we've gathered on a Sunday morning, where does that, on a Sunday morning, where does that leave us? We should not forget that this God who is over all things, ruling all things, in charge of all things, and is, is on the side of those who are his through Jesus Christ. Why is it good news when we talk about this matchless, this maker, this magnificent, holy, righteous God, master of all things? It's good news because he's on a mission to save sinners through the work of Jesus Christ. If that isn't you this morning, if you're hearing this, you're listening to this, and that isn't you, if you are not God's through faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day to become a part of that family, to repent, to turn from sinfulness, to turn from your rebellion, 
and to trust in Jesus Christ and have this God who is matchless, who's maker, who's magnificent and master over all, to have him become your father, your God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are made right with this God through faith in Jesus Christ this morning, what abundantly good news it is that this God is in charge of everything. This God is in charge of everything. Since I was a child, um, listening to mom practice her hymns, she played piano at our church. And so every Saturday night, um, her pastor was nicer. She, he gave her the verses, the songs before Sunday morning. But uh, she, she'd have the songs and, uh, and, um, and when you're practicing them, and she'd always want to let us call out hymns. And I'd always call out, I think it's 144 uh, in the Methodist hymnal. And it was, this is my father's world. And I just liked the tune, but... Malty Babcock, who wrote that hymn, was just caught up with the, the wonders of nature, the birds their carols raise, the, the morning light, the lily white declare their maker's praise, and how just creation itself screamed for worship of this God, this magnificent God who made this world, but goes through these various realities of praising God. And then this last line comes in. It says that, though the wrong seem oft so strong... And he had a tough life. I won't go into the details, but he had, he had sorrows. He had difficulties. He had griefs. He had things going not well and moments in his life. And he writes the line, though the wrong seems off so strong. Can you resonate with that? That at times in life, the wrong seems so strong. Though the wrong seem off so strong, God is the ruler yet. God is the ruler yet. Why is it important to understand the doctrine of God? Because promises are only as sure as the one who makes them. Promises are only as sure as the one who makes them. My daughter is getting really good at, at bargaining. Um, it's, it's fun. But, but lots of times her bargains contain promises that you're like, there ain't no way you can do that. <laughs> she's, you know, she, she'll want something, she'll say, I'll buy you a book, Daddy. That's usually her bargain. <laughs> I'll buy you a book. And she ain't got no money to buy me a book. The books I want are too expensive for her blood. I mean, she ain't, she's making promises she can't keep. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That, the promises that are given are only as good as the strength of the one to keep them. If God is matchless, if he's maker, if he's the magnificent holy God, if he's the master of it all and on a mission, his promises are as good as he is strong. His promises are as good as he is strong. God has made a promise to rescue, redeem, and to make all things new for those who have trusted in Christ. And he is the maker with sovereign power over all. He cannot fail to do all that he pleases. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see this glorious truth. The wrong often does seem so strong and we get bogged down in the difficulties of this life and the, the, the dark clouds of providence hide your face. It can be so hard. And God, I pray that when those days come, we would be reminded of our doctrine of who you are. You are matchless. You are the maker of all things. You are holy and righteous 
You are the master, the sovereign one over, the, over all things. And you have a point and a purpose, an objective to redeem a people for yourself. And you are the God who in your largeness, your sovereignty cannot fail. And help us, God, to rest in all that you are for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.